When it comes to surprises, there are two kinds of people. The people that are prepared for it, that seem to just intuitively know uh, what the right reaction is. Then there are the rest of us who are totally caught off guard and don't usually respond well. I don't know which category you fall into, but think about a recent time when you've been surprised and just consider how did you handle it? Were, were, you, were you there? Were you able to recover? Or did you do something really stupid or really dumb and you kind of laughed about it later? A few months ago, uh, we had some friends in, uh, in town from out of state. And so we wanted to take them to uh, a, a cool new Portland place that we had heard about, uh, but we hadn't uh, tried this restaurant yet. And so we took them there and it was a great experience. Uh, but it was one of those places you have to wait like forever just to get into it. And so it had been a while since I'd used the restroom. And so I said, hey guys, I'm gonna go use the bathroom uh, you know, toward the end of our meal. I'll catch up with you later. So I go to, to the back and the way this uh, restaurant is laid out, you have the dining area. Then you have kind of like behind that uh, off to a corner, you have this hallway with two different individual bathroom units. And so I'm back there and from where the hallway I'm standing, I can't see uh, anyone in the dining area. So you're kind of off the, the, a little bit. And, and so there's these two doors and both of them are locked, so I'm just going to wait, you know, to whichever door opens up first, and I'm standing back there. When all of a sudden, one of the doors opens, and, and I'm getting ready to go inside when uh, a lady pokes her head out and says to me, hey, could you come in here and unzip this for me? <laughs> now, here's the deal. I don't know a lot about ladies' clothing, all right? I don't understand how it all works or what's going on there. Um, but this is a moment I wasn't prepared for. So I'm standing there quickly trying to process what's going on and what the right response is to this request. Uh, and here's, I, I confess to you, I couldn't articulate any words. No words came out at all. I just, like, couldn't, couldn't say anything. Uh, all I got was this. <laughs> just shook my head. And she goes, huh. Is it weird for me to ask you this? <laughs> yep, it seems pretty weird to me. So she's like, huh, well, I need help. So we have this like awkward, like I'm saying that I'm like, I don't really feel comfortable walking into a restroom, unzipping someone's clothes that I don't know, you're not my wife, I don't just, I, this just doesn't feel right to me. So I'm just sitting there like, uh, sorry. Uh, and so finally, uh, one of the, the male staff, you know, is walking around the corner and she goes, hey, hey, would you help me just, just unzip this? And he's like, yeah, no problem. So he walks in, unzips whatever, walks away, and then she says to him, hey, come back in just a few moments because I'll need your help zipping it back up. <laughs> so I'm standing there just experiencing this and I'm like, wow, that was weird. You know, just not, not what he prayed for. So now I'm looking at the other bathroom door going, can't wait till that bathroom door opens. I can get out of this thing and, you know, pretend like it never happened. So I'm standing there and standing there, standing there. Evidently, whoever's in the other restroom is taking care of some business because <laughs> that door ain't opening. So I'm just standing there waiting. After a few moments of this, the door opens back up with the lady. She pokes her head out again and goes, ah, just sees me there. I'm, so, I'm sorry, I don't, I, I, mean, I don't know what to say to you. And she's like, seriously? And so I'm like, so she slams the door again. And I'm like, I feel bad for her. I just don't feel like I'm the guy to help. You know, I don't know. And so I go walking around the corner and I'm looking for someone. Finally, I find another you know, female staff member. I'm like, hey, here's the deal. There's a girl in the bathroom. She needs help with her dress. Can you go in there and help her? She's like, what? I'm like, yeah, just 
Just go do it. So she goes back there. She helps. Finally, all that gets taken care of. She walks out. I go use the restroom. You know, crisis averted. I go back to my table, uh, and uh, they're all looking at me like, what took you so long? <laughs> Look, you don't even know what just happened. And so I'm, you know, explaining the whole thing. And, and, and so I know some of you are wondering, why did she need help on doing the whatever? You know, I look, I don't understand female clothing. I tried to explain this. My wife's going, that doesn't make any sense. Why does she need your help to do that? I'm like, look, I don't know. That was just what was requested. So then I had to point her out in the dining area so that the girls at our table could analyze why did she need something unzipped. You know, I don't know. This exceeds my level of understanding. Evidently, it's some type of romper that required... I don't, yeah, you girls know. So here's the deal. If you're a lady today and you are considering a zipped up romper, I want you to think twice about that because you may find yourself in an awkward situation if you have to use the restroom. Now, I've been, I've been told that there's also male rompers. So if you're a guy considering that, think three times before you do that. How do you handle surprises? Today we're going to talk about the surprise of the resurrection. Now here's the problem. If you've heard this story before, if you've grown up in church, if you've read your Bible before, you're like, I know this story, I know the details, I know how it ends, it loses its surprise for you. But in this series we're looking at uh, this, this story from each person's point of view. And so today we're going to see what a surprise this story is, and we're going to have to go back there and relive that emotion, relive that feeling to, uh, in order to understand what they're going through. So if you've got your journals with you today, we're going to be in week two here, so I encourage you to get those out, and you'll see a spot to take notes like we do every week. Uh, and then if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 24. Luke's in the New Testament. Encourage you to get a physical Bible out, open up to Luke 24, and we'll be there in just a moment. If you've got a Bible app on your phone, I encourage you to get that out as well, and, and you can read along with us. As we've been going through this series, we've looked so far at the life of Peter. Last week we talked about Peter and his, his ultimate failure of denying Jesus three times. And, and you can go and watch that online in case you missed it. And how the resurrected Jesus changed everything about Peter's failures. And, and totally you know, rewrote that story for him. Now, next week what we're going to do is we're going to talk about Easter. Uh, and we're going to talk about the resurrection. Uh, again, like this, I, we've been doing it. But here's what I want to ask of you. It is so easy to say, okay, uh, I love this story. This means a lot to my family and I. We're going to come to an Easter service. It'll be great. Here's my request. Would you please plan ahead and invite someone with you? And here's my ask. Not just invite them to attend here. Invite them to come sit with you, to come sit with your family. Uh, this might be a coworker, a family member, a neighbor. Uh, but here, here's what I know. Uh, you, you may be totally terrified to, to bring up a conversation about your faith or to invite someone to church with you on a normal week. But Easter and Christmas are the two easiest times of the year where more people who normally would not say yes will entertain this if you would ask them. And here's, here's the reality. Uh, we primarily exist for people who aren't here yet. It's kind of the weird role of the church, right? We want the resurrected Jesus to meet more people who haven't experienced him yet. And that only happens when those of us who have seen it, who have experienced it, care enough and, and extend ourselves on behalf of others. So I want to encourage you. Uh, we got seven services happening at this campus. Uh, pick a service and invite someone with you. And say, you know what? I want you to come sit with us. I want you to be a part of this with our family. And I think you would, you'd be amazed at the response you might get uh, to that. So that's coming next week. Well, today we're going to look at a group of women 
who are going to experience the resurrection and, and their reaction to it. So this is gonna happen in Luke 24. We'll begin reading in verse one. What you have to understand is Jesus at this point has been killed. He has been buried inside this tomb. And now they're trying to figure out what next? What happens after the resurrection? What do we do now? Here's Luke 24, verse one. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, let me address a couple of things that sometimes we get confused about when it comes to this story and, and this, this whole week of what's going on. Uh, so you're going, what day of the week is it? Well, now we're talking about Sunday. Uh, but again, Jesus was, you know, was there for three days, and you may be confused. I thought he died on a Friday. How does that all work? Well, in the, the first century Jewish understanding, uh, the day began, a calendar day began at sunset of your current day. So tonight, you know, when the sun goes down, would be the beginning of the next day, the way that they understood it. It's very different for us. We usually think the next day begins at 12.01, you know, just after midnight, or maybe you kind of think of it begins with sunrise the next day. They didn't think of it like that. It was sunset of the day previous. So Jesus is killed on a Friday. So you have, you know, the Friday on uh, into the entirety of Saturday, which would be the Sabbath for them. And then uh, sunset on Saturday up to, you know, kind of sunrise or whatever up through Sunday. Uh, that's the third day. So again, from their understanding, that's how they understood these three days. It was Friday to Sunday. But here's what you have to understand. When it says that they are coming, bringing spices, why are they bringing spices? What is that for? Well, here's what you have to realize. They're not expecting to find no body. If they were, they wouldn't be holding spices. Why do you bring spices? You bring those to use on a dead body. They are trying to honor the body of Jesus. They're trying to you know, take care of it as much as they can as it is in the decomposition process. And so they are coming fully expecting to find a body, and yet there's no body. And so they stand there and they're going, well, what do we do now? Because we brought all this and he's not here and what does this mean? And they're trying to figure this out. Verse four, while they were wondering about this, you can imagine just holding the spices, saying they're going, what's next? Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Now, if you'd like to uh, mark in your Bible, I would encourage you, this is a line to highlight, to underline, to circle, note. This is a profound question, as we will see. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. Now, who are these men who suddenly appear. Now we, we know from the context of this story and in comparison to the other gospel accounts that these are angels that show up and suddenly the angels are left with the explanation of what's going on. Now you may not understand the role of angels. Angels are like God's messengers. God gives them instructions and they go and they follow these instructions. Now an interesting side note, uh, in the Bible, you never ever see a female angel. Angels always appear as men. And I just find this interesting. And what it does is it proves to us that men can follow instructions. So, in case you thought we were incapable, evidently we have to be angels to do it. But 
There are men that can follow instructions that are given to them. The angels do a good job of it. But their question is profound. Why do you expect Jesus to be dead? And you can imagine the, the women going, well, because, uh, well, okay, you know, I, that's a good question. You know, why do you, why do you think Jesus is dead? Like all of a sudden this question is back on them. Like, what are you doing here? Why are you bringing spices? What's, what's going on? I, I love this. Do you remember what he said to you? Like the angels are going, remember this? Remember this? Remember this? They start like reciting to them. Remember all of the things Jesus told you? And then it says, and then they remembered his words. Right? Like, oh, he was serious about that? Like that was like literally gonna happen. We just thought it was kind of like a metaphor. We just thought it was like, like, like some poetry. Like, you know, Jesus gets weird sometimes. We didn't know what he meant by that. How many things have we dismissed from Jesus like this? I mean, you know, we laugh out there going, oh, we, we, we didn't get it. I mean, if anything, you'd go, that one was pretty self-explanatory. And yet, for them, they, they could not wrap their minds around it. I, I imagine that there's gonna be a number of us when we get to heaven, we'll have a conversation with Jesus and he's gonna go, hey, remember that thing I said? And we'll be like, oh, you meant that? Like you were serious about that? So we have this tendency just to kind of dismiss things that either sound crazy to us or over oh, go, there's no way Jesus really expects that of us. And we see that happening even here. Like, oh, wait, what? And then they remembered his words. I love the way that William Barclay says it. It may well be that our Christianity has lacked an essential something because we too have been looking for him who is alive among the dead. You ever met a Christian who lacks an essential something? Something just seems to be missing in the way that they live out their faith. You ever been a part of a Christian gathering that lacked an essential something? Just seemed like, ah, something's not quite there. How easy it is for us to fall into the behaviors, the actions, the rhythm of Christianity, and, and we tend to miss the living Jesus in our midst. And this is what was going on with the early disciples as well. And so instead of just keeping it on them and going, yeah, I can't believe they missed it, let's wrestle with the question for us. Do we live as if Jesus were dead? Do we actually live that way today? Now you may go, no, no one would do that. Well, you can do this in a number of ways. Now, you might be here today, and you're not quite sure where you're at with, with God and with this whole Christianity thing. And, and so one of the ways that you can live as if Jesus were dead is to say, well, he was a great teacher. He was a great historical person. I believe he really lived and he really died. I don't think he rose again, but he was a great moral teacher. And, and you know, more people should be like him. He, he was really profound. We can say a lot of nice things about Jesus, and yet, that is to treat him as if he were dead. But Christians can also do it. Now, we do it in a different way. We, we often do it by saying, oh, Jesus is alive, and if you want to find him, just read your Bible, and you'll find him there. And you can go visit Jesus anytime you like in the Bible. That's where he lives. He, he's, he's in this book. And, and so we go, and we, we visit Jesus, and then we, we finish reading, we put him away, we put him on our shelf, and then we get him back out whenever we want to experience Jesus. Sometimes the way that we understand or view or, or treat the Bible becomes the fourth member of the Trinity. And yet if you understand the word Trinity, you can't have a fourth member in it. It's not Father, Son, Spirit, Bible, right? It's Father, Son, Spirit, and the Bible directs us to the living God. 
And yet a lot of times we, we think that Christianity might just be something to study. And so often I go, oh, that, that guy is such a good Christian. He knows so much. He has such a great understanding. He must be a great Christian. And we frame Christianity like it's this thing to, to study and examine, and that's the essence of it. But you can study about something without really experiencing that something. I had a weird experience happen this week to me. Never happened before in my life. Uh, I was alerted uh, one of the mornings of this week that, that there was a fake Jeremy Jernigan Facebook account that had been created by someone. And so I started getting notifications because uh, evidently people on my actual Facebook page were getting invited by this new page. And then this new Pastor Jeremy Jernigan, which was the name of it, was in, in, you know, messaging people. And maybe some of you got this from me. And I hate to break it to you, it wasn't really me, so sorry, if that, that's sad. But uh, this, this person was going on and creating all this. Now, this is a weird feeling for me, because I'm going, well, that's not me. But here's the weird thing. It used my name, used my job title, and used all my photos. But it's not me. And so I go on to Facebook, and I go to report it, and I said, this person is claiming to be me, but it's not me. And I'm thinking, problem solved. And yet, nothing happens. Like, well, this, this is weird. I, re- I reported it. Like, that. I'm the guy. It's not me. Like, this should just be done. But it stayed up there. And so all throughout the day, I'm getting texts. I'm getting, you know, emails from people going, hey, there's this fake you going around, and you just emailed me, and you just asked me for money. You know, and I'm going, oh, no, this is bad. This is, this is really bad. How do I convince people it's not me, even though it looks like me? And some people got in conversation with them, and so I go, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I, I posted a screenshot of the fake account on my actual Facebook page, and I said, this is not me. If you get a, you know, a notification from this account, please report it. And so a number of people were responding, going, oh, I totally fell for it. You know, I've been emailing this person all day, you know, like going back and forth. The weird thing is, the fake me got onto the real me's page on this and started replying to people's comments, thanking them for what they said. And I'm like, this is like, Stolen identity inception. Like this is getting really heady and really weird. So then I had to go on a, this is an interesting feeling. I had to ban me from my own page. This is what the notification I got. Uh, and it just made me chuckle. Pastor Jeremy Jernigan has been banned. Like, oh, I know, I banned myself from my own page, but it's not me, that's the point. And here's, here's the fear I had, because it took Facebook at least a day to remove this account. I remember thinking, what if, Someone thinks that's really me. What if, you know, someone says, well, I'm not going to that church because your pastor hit me up for money. What if, so, you know, what if someone's view of me was shaped by the not me version? And I realized how vulnerable that was. What, what feeling that was to go, that isn't really me. And yet someone could conclude, no, I've, I've talked to him. I, I've, I've met him. I was friends with him. Even though you would say that, well, that wasn't the real thing. Or consider another example. My favorite president uh, was Abraham Lincoln. I have read thousands of pages about Abraham Lincoln's life. I've been fascinated by his leadership, but how to lead through trials and through opposition. And, you know, when, when things looked dire, uh, he's just remarkable in the ways that he has led. But here's the reality. I, I've never met Abraham Lincoln. You know why? Because he's dead. He's not alive. And so even when I read about him, I'm studying him. I, I, that's all it is. He's, he's not meeting me in that journey. I don't ever get a chance to go, wow, let me tell you that Abe Lincoln said to me today. I mean, it was remarkable. He's not alive. And the reality is we often treat our, our Christianity just like these 
examples. And we have this weird separation in the way that we pursue Jesus without actually pursuing him. Let me say it like this. Jesus is not just someone to be studied. He is someone to be experienced. You see, you should study about Jesus. You should read your Bible often, daily, whatever. You should, it's great. Read about him. Understand him more. But then experience him as you do it. You don't go and visit Jesus when you read the Bible. See, Jesus is with you, next to you, while you read the Bible. It's a different way of understanding, oh, he is alive. He is here. He is meeting me in this process. And it's so often we go, no, I just want to read about him. I just want to study him. I don't ever want to meet him. The difference about reading about Jesus is that Jesus meets you there. If you read about Abraham Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln will not meet you in that process. And yet, a lot of us, we don't read the Bible with that expectation of, oh, Jesus is going to meet me here. I'm going to experience him in my day-to-day life. Why are we looking for the living among the dead? So we keep reading what happened with the women. Verse 9. When they came back from the tomb, so they've experienced the empty tomb, experienced the angels. Now they got to go tell some people. When they came back from the tomb, they told all of these things to the 11 and to all the others. Well, who are the 11? It's the 12 disciples minus Judas, okay? Judas had killed himself. We mentioned this last week. So now it's the 11 left, and they're all trying to figure out what, what happens next. Well, here are the women that were included. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. These are the women who saw the empty tomb. And then notice this line. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Woo! Well, thank goodness that's the only time that's ever happened. Now, the Greek word that Luke uses here for nonsense is a medical term that doctors would use to describe the, the ramblings of someone with a fevered mind or someone who is clinically insane. That's how they would describe Oh, that person speaks nonsense. Dismiss it. Disregard it. It makes no sense. That's the way that these 11 disciples respond to these women. Oh, you are out of your mind. This makes no sense. Now, on top of that, in their culture, the testimony of women was considered unreliable and could not be used to settle legal disputes. So if you had, you know, someone witnessed a crime and you're going, hey, I'm, you know, I was wrongly accused. I have a witness who saw it. If your witness was a female, you didn't have a witness. They could not speak in behalf of you in any legal sense. They did not have that level of credibility in this culture. And so these are the ones that are the eyewitnesses to the empty tomb. Now, i got to be honest with you. If I was writing this story, and I'm a first century Christian, this isn't how I would write it. I would put the most credible people possible and say, they're the ones who saw it. They're the ones who experienced it. It is worth believing. Luke says, no, it's, it's these women. They're the ones who saw it. They're the ones who talked to the angel. And you're going, why on earth would you tell the story like that? See, for me, this adds an incredible amount of authenticity to this story. Because if you were making it up, you wouldn't write it like this. But if the women were actually the ones who experienced the empty tomb, then yeah, you would say, well, that's how it happened. It was these women. And you begin to realize how bizarre of a detail this is in this story. It also is a reminder to us of the way that Jesus used women in his ministry. 
See, women played a vital role in the ministry of Jesus, and yet we tend to overlook that today. Now, you may wonder, how come this story centers on these women? Who are these women? Why do all of a sudden they have this important role in the story? Where do they appear from, like out of nowhere? I thought he had, he had 12 disciples. Why are these women there? Well, Luke, in his gospel, has already explained to us who these women are. They didn't just arrive on the scene. They've been there the whole time, and yet it's easy to overlook them. Let me show you earlier in Luke's gospel where he introduces them, where he explains who they are and what they were doing with the ministry of Jesus. It goes back in chapter 8, verse 3 says this. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna and many others, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now, Joanna is a name you just saw in the text. Like, okay, well, who is that? She's married to a guy who is managing Herod's household. Who's Herod? He's the bad guy of the story. He's the one trying to kill Jesus. He is opposing Jesus. He wants nothing to do with Jesus. He wants to control him, is a direct threat to him. <laughs> this is what's amazing. Jesus has an inside guy, and it's a girl. Joanna is working for Herod. Her and her husband manage Herod's affair, but on the side, secretly, she is supporting and using all of her influence and finances to support Jesus. Now notice this last line. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Do you realize that Jesus didn't get paid to go and preach in the synagogues? He didn't get paid to go do miracles. He didn't get paid to go do the things that he did. He had to go around everyone. He had a group of people follow him. He had at least 12 of them, and they had to eat meals, and they had to stay somewhere, and they had all these, you know, just logistical needs. How did they pay for that? Luke tells us women. They had some breadwinners, and it wasn't the guys. It was the ladies that were taking care of them and saying, hey, we will enable you to have ministry because we will invest and support you. We will be the ones. Now, most of us would go, well, I mean, Jesus could have done it a different way. Absolutely, he could have. And yet Jesus empowered people that in that culture especially, you'd go, no, they have no part of the story. They don't belong there. And Jesus would beg to differ. See, Jesus empowered women through his ministry and through his resurrection, both the way he did his ministry and now the announcement of his new arrival as the resurrected Jesus. He says, hey, I want, I want some women to be the eyewitnesses, the ones that no one would believe. I want to empower them to be the ones with this story. You begin to realize something radical is happening here. I love the way that the author Carolyn Custis James says it. She says, equality distinguishes the kingdom of God from kingdoms of this world that rank, rate, discriminate, and privilege some human beings over others. What is this thing that Jesus is teaching? Like, I mean, when it boils down to like, what are, what are his ideas? How are they different than everything else? Well, the kingdoms of the world will tell you, this person is above this person. This person is above this person. This person is above this person. The kingdom of God that Jesus teaches go, no, no, no. All people are made in the image of God. All people have value. All people are invited here. I will equally empower and leverage and give a voice to all people. You realize this is a radical shift in understanding the kingdom. And this is what we see in the model of Jesus Christ. Jesus was radically inclusive of women and his ministry. And so I'm so glad that from this moment on, that the church throughout the centuries has been known for empowering women. Oh, wait. The church has been known throughout the histories for silencing women, 
for telling women, hey, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, let the men do this. We, we've got important stuff to do, and you can be on the sidelines quietly supporting us. You begin to realize, I think we've missed something here. Well, yeah, but the, the disciples were all men, Jeremy. You know, it was 12 men. Yeah, and, and how were they able to do what they were able to do? Because women were there. And women were making it possible for them to do what they did. You begin to realize, oh, Jesus was bringing women in and empowering them in a way that was absolutely radical. And, and so I just confess to you, if you want to know the heartbeat of Abundant Life, where we're going, we want to be a church that follows the same trajectory of Jesus in empowering women in ministry today. Not because we feel bad for women, yeah. It's not because we feel bad for women, like, oh man, you know, if we don't do this, you know, you guys will be so sad. No, for us to be the church that God has designed us to be, we need women. If Jesus needed women to do his ministry, what on earth makes us think the guys here can get this done, right? No, we got it. You guys just, just, just stay on the sidelines. Just let us handle it. No, that's not the kind of culture we're going to be. We're going to say, you know what? Half of the church are women. And if we want to be the church that God designed us to be, we're going to invite them and empower them and equip them and give them a seat at the table to do ministry with us. Because that's what the resurrected Jesus did. The first people to see it, not men, it's the women. And the women go, hey, we've got something to show you. And it's remarkable. And yet for all these guys, it sounds like nonsense, except one guy. Check out verse 12. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Peter's sitting there going, what did you guys say? The tomb is empty? I, I gotta go see this. And when all the other disciples are going, ah, oh, this is nonsense, Peter quietly leaves, and he starts running to the tomb to see it for himself. Peter needs this to be true, as we saw last week. Because Peter's final moment with Jesus was one of failure, of, of, of disowning him three times, and he's going, I don't want that to be the end of this story. And so Peter rushes to the tomb. And what I find is amazing is that, as we saw last week, the resurrected Jesus rushes to Peter. Peter also rushes to him. They both realize this has changed everything. But notice that even when Peter goes, you're going, oh, finally Peter got it. No, it says that Peter was wondering to himself what this meant. I mean, at some point you're going, this whole story is such a surprise that all of the people involved still cannot see it until it has already played out. They're going, what does this mean? The tomb is empty, I wonder what. And they're having a hard time wrapping their mind. Even when the angels have said, he rose from the dead. He is not dead anymore. They're still going, I wonder what this means. It's a story of surprise. And if you miss it, you fail to see what the resurrection is still doing for us today. I love the way that the author Jerry McKenna says this. He says, resurrection does not hold everything together, does not restore order, does not create harmony. It turns everything upside down. You want to know what the surprise of the resurrection is that today it is still turning everything upside down. When you look at the word and go, this is how the world works, the resurrection says, no, it doesn't. When you go, oh, this is just how, this is the things that will win, the things that will lose, this is how the, the story goes. The resurrection goes, no, it isn't. And all of a sudden you get that same surprise to go, could that be true? 
could it, could it still be true today? If Jesus were still alive today, could it be true that he is still going to surprise us? And so church, my question for us today is, what is our response to the empty tomb? We've seen their responses. What is our response? When we hear news of, hey, hey, there's no body here. He's not dead, he's alive. If you're a Christian today, I'd ask you this question. Are you living with the power of the resurrected Jesus in your life? Or are you treating it like something to be studied rather than experienced? Are you living with the power of Jesus and the way that you use your influence for others? Maybe go, you know, Jeremy, what kind of influence? I don't have influence. If you realize that the resurrected Jesus is living inside of you, every person you talk to, you have influence over. You have an opportunity to shape them, to change the world around you because the resurrected Jesus is living inside you. If you thought about this, how would it change the way you manage your finances? Oh, I'm not sure what would happen. I gotta make sure I take care of it. And, and what about this and what about that? No, if Jesus is alive, what do you have to be afraid of? You could confidently, boldly invest yourself for the kingdom, for things that the resurrected Jesus is doing around you. What better use of, of your finances than to go, hey, I wanna support this. I wanna be a part of this. And I know that Jesus is with me while I do it. How would you just live in your daily life if you expected that at any time, because Jesus is alive, he may interrupt you. Are you expecting to be interrupted today? At some moment you'd be thinking, oh, here's what I'm gonna go do, and all of a sudden Jesus goes, no, I want you to do something else. Or you meet someone, you wanna walk by, and Jesus says, no, go talk to them. No, go invite them into the story. All of a sudden you realize he's alive. He's not something to be studied when it's convenient for us. How would it change our prayer life if we believe the resurrected Jesus is the one we're talking to. I'll be honest with you, most of the prayers that I hear in church, and I'm guilty of this as well, it sounds as if we're praying to a dead body in a tomb. Hey, Jesus, if you can hear me, if you're there, if you care, if you're interested, here's some things that would be great. If not, no worries, we'll get on just fine without you. Really, that's how we're gonna pray? No, what, it, what would you say to Jesus if he's standing right in front of you? What would you ask of him? What, what would you do if he said, hey, I'm here for you. What do you want me to do in your life? What would you respond with to the resurrected Jesus face to face with you? That's how we should pray instead of looking for the living among the dead. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you're going, well, Jeremy, I'm not a Christian yet. I'm still exploring this whole thing. That's awesome. I'm so glad that you're here. This is a safe place for you to wrestle with that, to, to be loved in community without having to believe everything that, that we believe. And I wanna ask you, do you think this story sounds like nonsense? Like the babbling of a fevered and insane mind? Or could it be true? Is it too good to be true? Or could it be so good that it is true? Next week, we're gonna explore the resurrection from the lens of one person that is struggling to wrap his mind around it, does not know how to make sense out of this. And I wanna encourage you to come back. I wanna encourage all of us to wrestle with the story from that point of view. But may we not lose the sight of the surprise of the resurrection. May we not look for the living among the dead. Because he is not in a tomb. He is with us here now. He is with you when you walk out of here. He is with you wherever you go. How would we live differently if we understood that the surprise of the resurrected Jesus is always with us? Let's pray together. 
Jesus, may we not spend our time studying you, but experiencing you. Not just reading about you, not just studying about you, not just growing in our understanding of things about you, but in our personal encounters with you. Because we have seen you, we have experienced you. God, may your same resurrected power that we read about in these stories meet us here today, both individually and as a community at all of our campuses. Wherever we are gathered, may we see that you are alive, that you will show up, that you will meet us and lead us and guide us and empower us, that this resurrected moment has turned everything upside down. So may we not believe the world and the kingdoms of the world that tell us the way this story ends that tell us the way the world works. May we believe that resurrection is possible. May we believe that you are not stuck in a tomb, but you are alive and well, and you are meeting us here today. God, may we be a church that expects to find you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.